coming up. What an excellent day for the history of the devil. Part 14. Howdy, folks, and welcome to another episode of The Exorcist Minute, a show where we normally examine, extrapolate, and excavate The Exorcist, minute by terrifying minute. My name is Lester Ryan Clark. And I'm Keenan Diaz. And we are still your holy guides on this journey through the history of the devil. Folks, I am so excited. Welcome to our first installment of our examination of John Milton's epic poem, Paradise Lost. We've talked about it on the show in relation to Captain Howdy's character, and indeed, it is hard to talk about the devil or devils and not mention Paradise Lost. It is so formative in our understanding of the lore surrounding the character of the devil, a character who is barely in the actual Bible, but who has had the biggest glow up since the writing of the Bible. All the stuff that we associate with the devil now, right? He's a fallen angel. His name was Lucifer. He was cast into hell after a war in heaven along with the other rebel angels. He was the snake in the Garden of Eden. All that stuff is in here. It might not be the first to say these things. You know, we talked about St. Augustine of Hippo and Thomas Aquinas, but Milton is the first one to take all of these separate ideas and package them in one story. Keenan, in our Exorcist episodes, you had talked about uh, what Chris meant when she said uh, the Walt Disney version of the Ho Chi Minh story. Remember that? Mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. You talked about what it meant in context of the 1970s, but then you also talked about what it means now. Like we talk about a, a classic fairy tale and we say the Disney version. And usually we don't. We just say like, we say Snow White and we mean the Disney version. Right. And we have it, to now go back and, and, uh, and qualify it when we're talking about the non-Disney version. The exactly. Original. Right. The Disney version has become the mm-hmm. um, default version, the, the, the default version. Yeah. Yeah. Right. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. So when we talk about the Disney version, we're uh, we're talking about like not the original, mm-hmm. but the one that is consolidated, color coordinated. <laughs> all the, the sharp edges have been rounded. All the random extra pieces have been thrown out. Right. Like like mm-hmm. the evil queen coming to visit Snow White uh, two other times before the poisoned apple, like with a poison comb and a poison bodice. Right. Disney's mm-hmm. like, nah, get rid of it. Right. <laughs> And the Disney version establishes things that we thought were there from the beginning, right? Like the the names of the dwarves. Mm -hmm. And the Disney version has since become the most famous version of all these tales. So why am I talking about Disney? What I'm trying to say is that's what Milton's retelling is. His epic poem is the Disney version of the devil. He took all of those random puzzle pieces, those random bits of lore that we've been exploring on the show, and he has made them all make sense in one story. That's his contribution. And like the Disney versions, this is the most famous version and the one that people confuse for the original. Mm -hmm. Ask someone to name the dwarves and they'll say, oh, happy, sneezy, dopey, doc, right? Ask someone what the Bible says about hell and they'll quote Dante. Mm -hmm. Ask them what the Bible says about the devil and they'll quote Milton, Walt Milton. Now, I'm not going to let you get away with this. You oh, named oh. four dwarves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, and you geez. moved on because uh-huh, you can't uh-huh. name all seven. <laughs> so you've given um, yourself four. There's, there's pride, <laughs> lust. Uh, no, 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 no. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. Happy, happy, sneezy, docky, docky. <laughs> happy, sneezy, doc, dopey, bashful, grumpy. Uh-huh. Sleepy? 
<laughs> yeah, you did, did it. it. You did it. Yeah. I couldn't remember which ones I'd already said. All right. Yeah. Good. Good. There we go. There we go. Right. <laughs> okay. So without further ado, let's get into this. Let's start with the man himself, John Milton. Just a, a brief bio here before we, uh, we jump headfirst into his uh, into the first book of his poem. Okay, so John Milton was born on Bread Street already. I'm loving no, this. Yeah, on. Bread Street <laughs> in London, December 9th, 1608. Um, he came from a relatively prosperous family, and his fa- his father was a composer, um, and uh, this allowed him to attend Christ's College in Cambridge, uh, during which time he was also preparing to become an Anglican priest. Um, after graduating, he left England on a 15-month tour of Europe where he met Galileo, Whilst under house arrest for heresy, Galileo, not not Milton. So um, Galileo just is like a he's like a tourist attraction <laughs> while he's there. <laughs> That's his punishment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sorry, like, hey, you're really the center of the universe now, aren't you? <laughs> but yeah, so so this was this was for saying that the Earth orbited the Sun as opposed to the other way around. Mm-hmm. Um, remember, in Dante, we said everybody knew that the Earth was round by this time, but in Milton's and Galileo's time, it's it's weird to like realized that both of them existed at the same time. Right. Um, we still had this geocentric view. Um, but yeah, so Milton returns home to find England on the brink of civil war between uh, supporters of the king and of parliament. Uh, Milton was a staunch uh, supporter of civil liberties, freedom of speech, uh, very anti-royalty, very anti-authoritarian. Keep this in mind as we look at the character of Satan in his poem. Um, he wrote various pamphlets advocating for the freedom of the press and the right to express ideas. Uh, in 1652, he became completely blind, possibly due to uh, glaucoma. Um, despite his loss of sight, he continued writing with various assistants. Um, it was during this time that he wrote his most famous work, and, and uh, I've heard this be called the most famous uh, poem in English history, Paradise oh, Lost. That's probably true, mm, yeah. especially since the Shakespearean sonnets don't have names. Right, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so also Milton, before he started writing Paradise Lost, was very famous, as you say, uh, because he was writing anti-monarchist pieces, like anti-monarchist yes. essays. So mm-hmm. he he wasn't just like, oh, I'm against the, the royals. Um, Etc. Like he was very, very much against them and very mm-hmm. publicly against them. He wasn't keeping right. that a secret. Yeah. And they went and they killed the king. So, yeah. so they went and uh, you, you didn't just remove the king back then and say, okay, you're not the king anymore, right. and we're going to have a republic. Mm-hmm. They killed the king, right. and after not him personally, but not like him his, personally, his, his... but Milton did write essays that were like good, good riddance. Yes, <laughs> which then becomes a problem because mm-hmm. right, because because um, um, af- after the restoration of the monarchy, <laughs> they're back oh, in God. 1660. <laughs> Yes. Monarchy 2. <laughs> Monarchies. In space, no one can hear you. Yeah, I don't know. Whatever. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, so so he uh, Milton faced political difficulties and briefly went into hiding. Mm-hmm. Um, he was he was imprisoned and then he was released. Uh, but his political writings were suppressed. Uh, despite these challenges, he continued to live openly and actively participated in public life until he died November 8th, 1674. Uh, at the age of 65. Um, despite all the controversies surrounding him during his lifetime, his literary legacy has endured, and he is celebrated as one of the most significant figures in English literature. And certainly, Paradise Lost is his most famous work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, let's take a look at this thing. Folks, this is the first of a 12-part installment. Uh, the poem is in 12 parts, 12 uh, books, and each episode we will cover a single part. Um, I sort of like to think of them as chapters. Um mm-hmm. 
Now, you'll notice at the top of each book, they have what's called the argument. Um, this is basically a summary of each book. Milton didn't have these originally, but they were added as early as the second edition because people said, like, we need some sort of summary to understand what the hell is going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I sound like I'm joking, but this is actually uh, an invaluable tool for us. Uh, this poem is famously tough to get through, um, as beautiful as it is. So we'll actually be reading each of these at the top of each book. And folks, don't get me wrong. This is not, you know, the Sparks Notes version um, that someone slapped on later. John Milton wrote these for the second edition, so this is his. Uh, this is part of his work. Um, mm-hmm. In the uh, in the podcast, classical stuff you should know. They actually liken this to the Star Wars crawl at the top of each movie, which I really like. I really like that. You know, it is also very interesting. So you read Milton's Paradise Lost, and it, as you say, it's very tough. I have, yeah. you know, a couple of degrees in writing and stuff. <laughs> it's very hard for me to read through, and, and you're going to explain a lot of this stuff, even though I did read it in the real text. Mm-hmm. But then you also read Milton's arguments. It's like, oh, yes, they could speak plainly back then, but they yeah. didn't. They <laughs> they decided to, right? So because they are writing they just wanted to other... be assholes. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it, yeah, you know, I was not going to say that. <laughs> Um, but no, they are writing for other learned people. Mm-hmm. So hence, like, we're tr- we need to um, make it more like a Greek epic poem. And it yes. does need to sound old style. And it does need to have all of the expected conventions. And if right. it's not... The iambic pentameter and all yeah, that. Yeah. If mm-hmm. it's not flowery and pretty and full, as you'll talk about, of allusions mm-hmm. to other things that learned people would know, right. it would be considered lesser poetry. So, yeah, yeah, we see, like, Milton writing in something closer to um, the vernacular and then mm-hmm. go into his epic style, which I think is interesting, if yeah. not... Uh, you know, it's still infuriating <laughs> to read. <laughs> I remember having a, I, I, I got caught um, mm. reading Paradise Lawn. You, you know how, you know how uh, other kids, like cool kids, right? They're, they're reading like a comic book behind their big, um, you know, chemistry book. That's right. In chemistry class, I got caught reading Paradise Lost behind my chemistry book. <laughs> and, the, and the chemistry teacher, he, he like, he like uh, uh, took it from me and he held it up and he's like, you know, it's like, I read this before in school. This really was like, you know, traveling through the, the, the nine circles of hell. And I was like, you fucking idiot that's dante but yeah folks it is a a famously tough poem to get through but like i love the story and that's what we're going to be focusing on um so yeah so so let's read this first argument okay here we go this first book proposes first in brief the whole subject man's disobedience and the loss thereupon of paradise wherein he was placed then touches the prime cause of his fall the serpent or rather satan in the serpent, who, revolting from God and drawing to his side many legions of angels, was by the command of God driven out of heaven with all his crew into the great deep, which action passed over, the poem hastes into the midst of things, presenting Satan with his angels now fallen into hell, described here. Not in the center, for heaven and earth may be supposed as yet not made, certainly not yet accursed, but in a place of utter darkness, fitliest called chaos. Here, Satan with his angels lying on the burning lake, thunderstruck and astonished, after a certain space recovers, as from confusion, calls up him who next in order and dignity lay by him. They confer of their miserable fall. Satan awakens all his legions, who lay till then in the same manner confounded. They rise, their numbers array of battle, their chief leaders named according to the idols known afterwards in Canaan and the countries adjoining. To these, Satan directs his speech, comforts them with hope yet of regaining heaven, but tells them lastly of a new world and a new kind of creature to be created according to an ancient prophecy or report in heaven, for that angels were long before this visible creation was the opinion of many ancient fathers. To find out the truth of this prophecy and what to determine thereon, he refers to a full council. What his associates thence attempt, pandemonium, the palace of Satan, rises, suddenly built out of the deep. The infernal peers there sit in council. 
And there we go. That is everything that happens in this first book. Good night, everybody. No. Um, <laughs> minus the pretty words. So, so now, Keenan and I are going to turn to the actual poem and examine the story as it unfolds. Well, you're very kind. Uh, you'll be doing that at least for the first couple of books until I figure out what the hell is going on here. <laughs> I'll catch up. I'll catch yeah, up. Yeah, maybe yeah. maybe in book three or four. I'll, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I think I'll get there. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, okay. Now, something to note before we jump in, guys. One big criticism of this poem is that while Milton claims he is in God's camp and he wants to, you know, quote, justify the ways of God to men, numerous critics have pointed out that his portrayal of Satan is a little too charismatic, a little too likable, even relatable uh, for that to be the case. Milton has defended this. He's he's the devil. He's supposed to be seductive, right? Um, and I would agree. I think the best villains are the ones you can identify with to a certain extent. And actually, I would also hazard a guess that the folks who said Milton was pro-Satan didn't read the whole poem. Satan starts out like the archetypal hero, but if you stay with us, folks, you're actually going to see his heroic qualities fall off one by one. It's really cool. It, it, this like anti-arc that he goes on. Um, he continues to fall throughout the poem. Mm, yeah, Dr. John Leonard, who uh, edits the version that I'm reading from Penguin uh -huh. Classics, he talks about that. Uh, he argues that the evidence that he sees is that Paradise Lost was originally meant to be a stage play, a tragedy, ah, okay. uh, and that he was working on two things at once, the stage play, uh, this tragedy, like a Shakespearean tragedy of Satan, and then this Arthurian epic. And then he realized that there really wasn't anything there for the story of Arthur. He couldn't do it. So right. he took the uh, the epic stuff, uh, the epic uh, format, and put the Satan stuff there. So yes. this, so he argues, Dr. Leonard argues that again, like it is a tragedy, which is not, the, you know, that's not necessarily the structure of an epic poem, anyways, right? right? Mm -hmm. Like Odysseus or or, um, or Death of Arthur, etc. So they're not right, tragedies, right? right? Mm -hmm. um, so we might have a lot of that woven into this. How he yeah. is a tragic hero, right? Right. See, I re I read stuff. Yeah. No. 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 <laughs> I have faith in you, Keenan. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's dive in. Now, the first thing we notice right at the top is that this is blank verse. Um, that is, it adheres to a specific uh, uh, metrical pattern, uh, but does not rhyme. Um, Milton actually considered rhyming to be tyrannical. Um, again, with this, <laughs> this anti-tyranny, he's like, I'm going to create my own poems without rhymes. Right. right? With blackjack and hookers. And blackjack. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, but yeah, so so um, so blank verse. It can it consists of unrhymed lines in iambic pentameter, which you know just think. You know, think uh, Romeo and Juliet, right? But mm -hmm. soft, what light through yonder window breaks, right? Um, here we have the first line of man's first disobedience and the fruit, right? Now, does this mean you have to read it this way? Absolutely not. It should be read naturally without forcing the meter onto the rhythm, um, just mm -hmm. like Shakespeare. Like, read it like a story. Read it like how people talk, right? And and don't, uh, you know, pause at the end of each line, right? Mm -hmm. So, actually, the first stanza should go, of man's first disobedience and the fruit of that forbidden tree whose mortal taste brought death into the world and all our woe, with loss of Eden till one greater man restore us and regain the blissful seat. Sing, heavenly muse, that on the secret top of Oreb or of Sinai didst inspire that shepherd, who first taught the chosen seed in the beginning how the heavens and earth rose out of chaos. Or, if Sion Hill delight thee more, and Siloah's brook that flowed fast by the oracle of God, I thence invoke thy aid to my adventurous song, that with no middle flight intends to soar above the Aeonian mount, while it pursues things unattempted, yet in prose or rhyme. 
So yeah, speaking of uh, uh, prose and rhyme, right? Very much like prose here. You might not even notice it's a poem if you're just listening to it. Um, and let's look at this first stanza. I just read it, folks. We started. And what do we see here? We see that Milton is copying the Greek poets of old by calling upon a muse at the beginning of his poem. We're back to Disney again, right? Think of the, <laughs> think of the muses at the start of Hercules, except here they're like, honey, you mean Lucifer. Mm. <laughs> but, okay, but here's the thing. Milton is trying to write the Christian version of those Greek epics, which right. in itself can be seen as an act of rebellion. He got a lot of flack for this. And since there are no muses in the Christian mythos, Milton is calling upon the Holy Spirit as the Christian equivalent of the muses. Um, in the second stanza, he says, Thou from the first wast present, and with mighty wings outspread dove-like, satst brooding on the vast abyss, and matest it pregnant. So he's calling upon the Spirit of God, the Holy mm -hmm. Spirit, to uh, inspire him to write this thing. Uh, he says, What in me is dark, illumine. What is low, raise and support. That to the height of this great argument, I may assert the eternal providence and justify the ways of God to men. So right there, like Satan, he is insanely ambitious. He is saying, <laughs> he is saying with this poem, I'm going to explain God and the ways of God to men, right? I'm, I'm going to solve the problem of evil. I'm going to answer all the questions that the Bible doesn't answer. Damn. And he wants you to know, right? He's, he's saying like, this is going to be the greatest poem. <laughs> Things unattempted yet in prose or rhyme. We're going right. to do it here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Get ready, right? <laughs> yeah. And of course, like we're reading it first, but he's already probably written most of the poem already and come back and, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and we're like, oh, let me tell you. Yeah. <laughs> this is actually pretty good. I got I to gotta, I gotta tell him at the top that this is really good. <laughs> But yeah, so so already we're getting some like mixed messages here. He is humbly calling upon God to help him explain all of God. Mm -hmm. So, okay, let's skip a little bit. He calls upon God to tell first of the infernal serpent. He it was whose guile stirred up with envy and revenge deceived the mother of mankind. What time his pride had cast him out from heaven with all his host of rebel angels by whose aid aspiring to set himself in glory above his peers, he trusted to have equaled the most high. If he opposed, and with ambitious aim against the throne and monarchy of God, raised impious war in heaven and battle-proud with vain attempt, him the almighty power hurled headlong, flaming from the ethereal sky, with hideous ruin and combustion down to bottomless perdition, there to dwell in adamantine chains and penal fire, who durst defy the omnipotent to arms. Sorry, uh, what kind of fire? I, uh, uh, penal fire. <laughs> Hey, there's very little I can contribute at this moment. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. All, you just all the fallen angels. They, ow, 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 <laughs> Yeah, they're like, roll call. Like, no, 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 we can't. We, <laughs> we got other problems going on here. <laughs> we got penal fire down here, boss. I apologize. I was, this is serious. No, no, this is serious. No, no, no. I was worried. I was like, it was, like, it was easy. It was easy with Dante. But like this, I was like, no, we can't. We can't possibly besmirch Milton. But no, here we are. Um, but yeah. And also, folks, it's going to be hard not to read this whole thing. But we're, we're going to highlight some of the best parts. And we can do that here because this is the original piece. It's not translated like Dante. So we mm -hmm. can appreciate the, uh, the taste of the words. But also, folks, to that end, because we're talking about the devil and because we want to have fun, we are going to skip a lot of bits where Milton... <laughs> Waxes analogous. He, he's going to name drop all these historical, cultural, uh, literal people and places. And unless we feel the reference still has weight today, we're going to skip it. Mm -hmm. This isn't in the poem, but like it'll be an example of like, um, oh, the rebel angels were as numerous as on the fields of Thermopylae. Mm -hmm. We don't need to stop and discuss Thermopylae. We get it. He's saying that they're numerous. Mm -hmm. That's all we need. That reference doesn't even mean anything to us. We're not familiar with it anymore. But 
Also, we're not going to try to like modernize it. We get it. They're numerous. That's well, all they we have. Need. They have modernized Thermopylae in 300. I don't know if, that, if that's- Well, yeah, okay. To, uh, <laughs> you know, into, uh, do, do you not like the 300? I mean, I, I saw it long ago. I saw it once and I was like, eh, it's, you know, it's all right. <laughs> Some people you know. love it. I was wondering about you because you're a buff guy. I mean, you know- Are you but, like, oh, these guys? <laughs> nah, I, 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 <laughs> this is <laughs> heaven. Boom, <laughs> this know. is leg day. This is leg day. <laughs> this is penal for ow, 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 ow. <laughs> no, but yeah. <laughs> so Milton has all these references because that's part of the form. That's the genre he's in. And that's how that's how these things are communicated. Like right. um, that, like the only way to to you can't just have an adjective or an adverb. You have to describe it in relation to some other piece of literature. That's how you're putting yourself into the canon. And right. That's very, right. very common for things at this time. Yeah. And, you know, and that's not to say that's 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 all that the poem is, right? right. There's a lot of uh, bits where his description is just like really beautiful. There's he describes the fallen angels like they're kind of like, you know, uh, floating on the burning lake, like autumnal leaves. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, that's really good. Right. Mm-hmm. And hey, we know what that looks like. We don't need to know, you know, like uh, Thermopylae or whatever. Right? Uh-huh, you know, it's like right. Autumnal leaves. That's great. You know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. So so all that all that extra stuff we're we're going to we're going to skip past. Right. Okay. Unless we feel that it does serve um, our understanding of the text today. So yeah, and, and actually folks, some folks have remarked that once you take out all these little, you know, asides, like, oh, Satan was so big, he was as big as this thing or this <laughs> thing, right? Once you take all of that out, it actually moves a lot faster. So mm-hmm. that's what we're going to do. We're going to focus on the story like we did with Dante and we'll stop and read when it's like really pretty. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so so let's get into it. After this invocation, the poem opens proper in medias res, uh, in the midst of things, right? Mm-hmm. Meaning it opens... Nine days after the war in heaven, Satan and his angels are already in hell and they've been floating unconscious on this uh, lake of fire for nine days, right? The poem says, nine times the space that measures day and night to mortal men. He, with his horrid crew, lay vanquished, rolling in the fiery gulf. And then we get Satan. Round he throws his baleful eyes that witnessed huge affliction and dismay, mixed with obdurate pride and steadfast hate. You know, and he takes in his surroundings, a dungeon horrible on all sides round, as one great furnace flamed, yet from those flames no light, but rather darkness visible, served only to discover sights of woe, regions of sorrow, doleful shades, where peace and rest can never dwell. Hope never comes that comes to all, but torture without end still urges, and a fiery deluge, fed with ever-burning sulfur, unconsumed. So yeah, right off the bat, we got this great description of hell as Satan takes it all in. And very soon he discovers, floating on the lake next to him, one next himself in power and next in crime, long after known in Palestine and named Beelzebub. And yes, folks, Milton is letting it be known here that Satan and Beelzebub are two different characters. Mm. Again, he wasn't the first, you know, but this, this Disney version helped to solidify this idea. Uh, and so Satan speaks for the first time. To whom the archenemy, and thence in heaven called Satan, with bold words breaking the horrid silence, thus began. If thou beest he, but oh, how fallen, how changed from him, who, in the happy realms of light, clothed with transcendent brightness, didst outshine myriads though bright. If he, whom mutual league, united thoughts and counsels, equal hope, and hazard in the glorious enterprise, joined with me once, now misery hath joined in equal ruin." And he tries to raise Beelzebub out of his stupor. He tries to restore his morale after this big loss. He says, What though the field be lost, all is not lost. The unconquerable will and the study of revenge, immortal hate, and courage never to submit or yield. So he's ne- he says he's never going to bend. He's never going to, you know, sue for grace with suppliant knee. Mm-hmm. He says that that would actually be worse than hell. 
He says the best thing now would be to swear eternal war against God. And in that way, they haven't lost. But he's uh, he's he's been comparing this. Uh, he's been comparing God to the monarchy and yes. talking about like defying this. And so he right. even though we talked about him going into hiding and like hiding his um, his political speeches a little bit, and, like pulling back uh-huh. at them. Then he writes this thing where Satan is just right out saying what what we have in other pieces of evidence that Milton actually believes. Right. Right. right? He's <laughs> continually calling God a tyrant. Right. right exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, again, like putting putting the story in the perspective of Satan and then giving him you know phrases and, and philosophies that Milton has said in his real life mm-hmm. uh you know people are like oh you you're um you're pro satan that's not yeah. right i mean right, like, right. here's all this evidence this is the kind of thing that people would point to i would imagine exactly yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right so yeah so his buddy Beelzebub answers right he says oh prince oh chief of the many throned powers and he goes on to say that he worries that God has left them intact and not completely destroyed because he wants to torture them. And how can this be a good thing? How is this a victory? What can it then avail, though yet we feel strength undiminished or eternal being to undergo eternal punishment? And so Satan answers, he says, fallen cherub, to be weak is miserable, doing or suffering. But of this be sure, to do aught good never will be our task, but ever to do ill our soul delight. So he says, that's what we're going to do now. We lost the battle. We can't fight God openly. So we got to do everything we can to mess with him in other ways. And then he says, here, let's let's get out of this lake. Um, you know, and he points to the shore and is like, let's let's get uh, uh, let's get a look at this place and figure out what next to do. Is that part of the rebellion? Like, are they supposed to stay in this lake forever? And, and even like stepping out of the lake, is that part of, uh, you know? I don't know. It's not clear in the poem. Um, mm-hmm. It says that like we're going to we're going to see in just a little bit that they are chained mm-hmm. to this lake. Right. Um, but I don't think I, I think they're supposed to like be able to get out of the lake and just, you know, they're still trapped in hell. They're just not like in the lake anymore. <laughs> Um, so they just all fell into the lake coincidentally yes. <laughs> and that's not part of God's plan or anything uh you know how you know how uh, uh, um you know buttered toast always lands side down and <laughs> you know so when you and fall the autumnal heaven, leaves yes. you know like fallen angels they always land in your swimming pool and you're like god damn it oh my burning lake <laughs> it's dirty now <laughs> yeah no, no, no. I think. Uh, well, actually, uh, uh, I think I think he answers that question um, uh, uh, in in the next part. Okay. Right? Um, so, but but first, Milton actually pauses to mention how big mm-hmm. all of these fallen angels are. Right. He compares Satan to the Titans and to Leviathan and also to Typhon. Remember, he was he was cast down to Tartarus. Right. Um, so yeah. So all these angels are huge, apparently. Um, but that's. You know, that's something you forget pretty early on because there's mm-hmm. nothing to compare them to except hell, right? Mm-hmm. There's no, like, banana for scale. <laughs> right. How many Big Macs tall are they? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> but yeah, so so these guys are are apparently chained to this burning lake, or at, mm-hmm. le- or at least Satan is. Um, and so when he rises up, he breaks the chain. Um, Milton sort of, like, dips in to, to say that he was only able to do this because God allowed it. So yeah, so does that answer your question, Keenan? I think I think God's plan was for them to eventually get out of the lake. Yeah, that's something perhaps I was thinking about that because of uh, this uh, very long forward that I read from Dr. Leonard in, in the version that I read. Mm-hmm. Again, not not uh, not bad, but right. uh, but about some of the criticisms of Milton, not just at the time, uh-huh. were that he places um, he places the ability of Satan to get through in the hands of God. 
mm. that that Satan is only able to break out because God allows it. Yeah. Um, and so some people say that this is either uh, illogic in Milton's version, or Milton is saying that that the ultimate evil and the fall of man that's going to come uh-huh. is is uh, ordained by God. And so it's yeah. not actually Satan who is is bad again; it is God for allowing Satan to exist. Right. Right. Um. And that specific problem mm-hmm. is addressed in book three. And I am All right. excited and also a little trepidatious to, uh, <laughs> to, to, to discuss that when the time comes. Um, but yeah, no, the, the, um, remember, remember our good buddy, the problem of evil folks. Um, we're going to, John Milton is going to attempt to talk about that and explain it, uh, justify the ways of God to, to men. Well, as with Dante Alighieri and everybody else, the uh, opinions of John Milton do not necessarily reflect those of the Exodus minute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, we're going to, yeah, we're going to, we're definitely going to get to that. That's, that's book three folks. Okay. So be ready. Um, but yeah, so Satan rises up out of this lake, right? Wings spread wide, right? Still on fire, right? Um, they describe like the, the flames, kind of like tongues of flames, kind of like, um, uh, licking back, uh, you know, uh, across the, the backs of his hands, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he lands on the shore and he begins his most famous monologue. This is actually one that I did, um, at a Shakespeare festival oh. recently. Yeah. Even though it's not Shakespeare. Um, but uh, but yeah, so, so he looks around and he says, is this the region, this the soil, the clime, this the seat that we must change for heaven, this mournful gloom for that celestial light? Be it so, since he who is now sovereign can dispose and bid what shall be right. Farthest from him is best, whom reason hath equaled, force hath made supreme above his equals. Farewell, happy fields, where joy forever dwells. Hail, horrors! Hail, infernal world, and thou profoundest hell! Receive thy new possessor, one who brings a mind not to be changed by place or time. The mind is its own place, and in itself can make a heaven of hell, a hell of heaven. What matter where, if I still be the same, and what I should be, all but less than he whom thunder hath made greater? Here, at least, we shall be free. The Almighty hath not built here for his envy, will not drive us hence. Here we may reign secure, and in my choice, to reign is worth ambition, though in hell." Better to reign in hell than serve in heaven, and, and that's that's the most famous line right there. I've um, heard that before. Yeah, better to reign in hell than serve in heaven. Mm-hmm. Right, um, and here is where I make the argument that Satan is Elsa from Frozen, <laughs> because that was let it go. It's his most famous monologue, and he's uh-huh. basically saying the heat never bothered me anyway. Right. <laughs> Yeah, Elsa has been uh, well. She sort of self uh, exiles herself, I suppose. Yeah, but no, yeah, you know, yeah. you know, no, no, no. But uh, yeah, she goes out into the wilderness and she's out there in a frozen mm-hmm. lake. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. she doesn't have any friends, so she has to sing. She can't have this conversation with anyone. Right. I'm just saying, you know, like um, in the new Disney princess lineup, mm-hmm. we better get we better get Satan. <laughs> but yeah, okay. So so here's also something to note, folks. Um, Notice that as soon as he gets out of the lake, um, as soon as he's away from the other angels, he forgets about them. <laughs> he starts soliloquizing. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Pay attention to this. We're, we're going to see proof time and again that Satan is only out for himself, right? Whatever speeches he makes about glory and honor and camaraderie, right? You know, and actually, yeah, this is this is where he remembers. He's like, oh, yeah, my friends. Right? <laughs> oh, Satan, I thought we were in this together. <laughs> quiet, quiet. This is the chorus. <laughs> 
So I guess I guess I had that hadn't occurred to me, but I think I'm already because so much of our ideas about Satan and the devil come from Paradise Lost, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, so so you know we're going to be learning all this stuff throughout the course that I've already taken for granted mm-hmm. that Satan is ruling over these people, right? That's not yes. exactly what that hasn't happened yet, I suppose, right? They've all right. been like he might have uh, led a revolt and yes. then chased down there, but they all think that there's something for in it for them. They're not down there just to just to serve him and help, right? It, it's it's unclear right now. Uh-huh. Um, whether or not they still see him as their leader. Um, right. Because I mean, like, I don't know, like if I led a revolt and I failed, I I would kind of wonder like what my soldiers would think of it, you know? <laughs> uh-huh. So, you know, I'm sure I'm sure that he's kind of like wondering that as well. And in book two, when they have the council, he kind of, he he does a little bit of, uh, I mean, even as early as right now, right? Mm-hmm. Like he, he makes his next big speech. He's kind of like subtly kind of like insinuating himself back into this leadership mm-hmm. role, right? right? Um, but yeah, I, I, like I said, you know, it's all kind of like empty bluster. Um, Very cool. But yeah, um, and and so yeah, so um, he he turns back to uh, you know to to this lake of fallen angels, right? Mm-hmm. And Beelzebub is like he's like yeah, you you should probably you know do a monologue rather than a soliloquy, <laughs> right? Like like talk to these guys, right? Mm-hmm. I like this Beelzebub. He's probably who I would play as the toady. That's my yeah, part. right, yeah, 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 the sycophant, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the power yeah. behind. Them. So he dies second or second to last, I mean, in the uh, action in the action movie. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> And he is, according to Milton, he is um, next in, uh, you know, splendor and next in crime, right? Mm. So, so he's up there. He's like, he's like almost as powerful as Satan. Great. Yeah. So, yeah. So Satan addresses his crew. Um, he called so loud that all the hollow deep of hell resounded. He says, princes, potentates, warriors, the flower of heaven, once yours now lost, if such astonishment as this can seize eternal spirits, or have ye chosen this place after the toil of battle to repose your wearied virtue for the ease you find to slumber here as in the veils of heaven? Or in this abject posture have ye sworn to adore the conqueror, who now beholds cherub and seraph rolling in the flood with scattered arms and ensigns, till anon his swift pursuers from heaven gates discern the advantage, and descending tread us down, thus drooping, or with linked thunderbolts transfix us to the bottom of this gulf. Awake, arise, or be forever fallen. Mm-hmm. So he is literally calling them out for what he just did. <laughs> like yeah. he, he just sang a song about accepting fate and making the best out of a bad situation. Mm-hmm. And then he turns to these guys and is like, so, so what, you guys are just going to take a nap? <laughs> you bunch of losers, get out of there before you know, God smites you again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but you know, it's, it's, a, it's a good speech. I'm, I'm, I'm messing, I'm being snotty. Yeah. Um, but okay, yeah, and, and apparently it works, right? They, uh, uh, Milton says, they heard and were abashed, and up they sprung upon the wing. And Milton describes them rising out of the lake like a swarm of locusts, like specifically the swarm that uh, covered Egypt. Mm-hmm. And he talks about how many there were, right? Though their names in heavenly records now be no memorial blotted out and raised by the rebellion from the books of life. Mm. So that's another bit of lore that I forgot. They lost their names when they fell. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, right? You, you think Lucifer changes to Satan, but like all these guys too. And it's implied here that Lucifer is not associated with evil. Like, like today we hear Lucifer, we immediately think Satan. But here Milton is saying, no, that name no longer exists. The mm-hmm. only name Satan has is Satan. Right, and these guys have no names. I am no one. 
precisely. Mm-hmm. So they're all they're all angels, and so that's why they have their angel wings and are flying yeah. all right. So they're still they're still part of that. Uh, I don't know. When do they they become devils later, or, or what is? It? I don't I don't think Milton ever physically describes yeah. them like changing. You know, like you're talking about like you know when do they get the bat wings and the horns yeah, and yeah, all exactly. that stuff? Yeah, yeah. yeah, I don't think he he like overtly says that mm-hmm. he's gonna. There's gonna be a little bit of a description like in a little bit in, in this same book about how they have all changed, but he, he doesn't specify. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so he goes on to say that they have since adopted new names here on earth. These are all the pagan gods and idols who aim to turn people away from the true God. And so, yeah, so now we get a roll call of, you know, the biggest, baddest demons, starting with our good buddy, Moloch. So first, Moloch, horrid king besmeared with blood of human sacrifice and parents' tears, though for the noise of drums and timbrels loud, their children's cries unheard, that passed through fire to this grim idol. Him, the Ammonite worshipped in Rabbah and her watery plain, in Argob and in Basan, to the stream of utmost Arnon. Nor content with such audacious neighborhood, the wisest heart of Solomon he led by fraud to build his temple right against the temple of God on that opprobrious hill, and made his grove the pleasant valley of Hinnom, Tophet, thence and black Gehenna called, the type of hell. And we know all of those, right? We read the story of Solomon. We talked about Gehenna and Hinnom. Mm-hmm. Um, and here, Milton does the same thing as with the angels. He says that the valley used to be Hinnom, but now it is Gehenna. Um, he also mentions Chemos. Uh, uh, um, this is a Canaanite god of war. Um, he mentions Baal, whom we know, another uh, Canaanite god, and actually the, the origin of uh, Beelzebub or, mm-hmm. or Baal-zebul. Um, and then he mentions Astaroth, uh, also known as uh, Astareth or Astarte. Uh, she's an ancient Near Eastern goddess associated with uh, fertility, love, and war. Um, but here, Milton names all three of these as three separate demons. Mm-hmm. So you have Astroth, and then you have Astoreth, and you have Astarte. Um, he also pauses here to let us know that angels and demons can assume either sex whenever they want. Uh, just to explain away, because some of these are, are goddesses and not gods. And he's like, oh, yeah, by the way, you know, like angels can do that. Right. Which is great. And that's really fun and, and neat. Uh, it, is, it is scary and cool and wonderful, right? Shape-shifting. And, but right. I don't know. Sounds like he... Uh, didn't have the right uh, the right atlas of demons and didn't want to get caught <laughs> naming one as female or male. <laughs> right. So and if, and if any of these turn out to be female, uh, right. you know, they can do that. Yeah. yeah, he was just trying to stave off the emails, I think. Right. Exactly, right. You know, those, <laughs> those, uh, those, those little pieces of parchment. Right? <laughs> I'm going to get canceled like Galileo. God. <laughs> I, have to, I have to be prisoner in my own house and some, some hicks from, from out of town are going to come in and look at me yeah. <laughs> as a tourist attraction. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so so angels can do that, I guess. Yeah, there you mm-hmm. go. Um, and then we get like um, a couple of others. We got we got uh, Thamuz or, or Tammuz, right? Another false idol uh, mentioned briefly in the Bible. We got a couple of those who were like so obscure that they might actually be places rather than gods in the Bible. Um, mm-hmm. Another one is uh, is a uh, Rimon. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we also got Adonis. Keenan, did you notice this? No, I have trouble reading this. <laughs> <laughs> No, honestly, all of the um, all the proper nouns just 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 sweep over my eyelids into the yeah. back of my head, and they're gone completely. <laughs> this is, so so my copy. Um, mm-hmm. All of these all of these demon names are, and also like like famous place names and stuff like uh-huh. that are capitalized. Yeah. So it yeah. sounds like um, like Milton is like shouting. <laughs> Well, he is dictating this to what his daughters, I suppose, right? Oh, yeah. Maybe they they wrote it all in caps for that reason. And then then, then, uh, up out of the lake also rose Adonis. And and she says, what is Adonis? (laughs) 
That's the that's the 17th century version of Across from Wales. Yes. <laughs> Uh, but then we also got like Osiris and Isis and Horus, right, mm-hmm. from Egyptian myth- mythology. So, so yeah, all the Egyptian gods are actually demons, apparently. Yeah, um, we've seen that happen a lot, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, and finally, uh, last, we got Belial or Belial, right? Um, it says, Belial came last, then whom a spirit more lewd fell not from heaven, or more gross to love vice for itself. To him no temple stood, or altar smoked. Yet who more oft than he in temples and at altars, when the priest turns atheist, as did Eli's sons, who filled with lust and violence the house of God. In courts and palaces he also reigns, and in luxurious cities where the noise of riot ascends above their loftiest towers." And injury and outrage, and when night darkens the streets, then wander forth the sons of Belial, flown with insolence and wine. Witness the streets of Sodom, and that night in Jebea, when hospitable doors yielded their matrons to prevent worse rape. These were the prime in order and in might. The rest were long to tell, though far renowned. So... Belial, we got we get this long description of Belial, right? And he's he's making all these callbacks to like Sodom and, mm-hmm. and all this stuff, right? Um, so Belial is interesting, right? He is he is dubbed the king of evil in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Um, we see this uh, name several times in the Bible, and people have interpreted him as a demon, a rebel angel. They speculate this might be another name for the devil, for mm-hmm. Satan. Um, literally translated, the name means worthless or without value. Um, we see in uh, Deuteronomy, it says, certain men, the children of Belial, are gone out from among you and have withdrawn the inhabitants of their city, saying, let us go and serve other gods, which ye have not known. So here, people speculate that he might be a false god, or uh, in this passage is uh, cautioning against worshiping false gods, like, you know, so many so many of the other passages in the mm, Bible. Okay. But then uh, we got uh, Judges 19.22, which says, now, as they were making their hearts merry, behold, the men of the city, certain sons of Belial, beset the house round about and beat at the door and spake to the master of the house, the old man, saying, Bring forth the man that came into thine house that we may know him. Now, so whenever we see the term children of or sons of or daughters of in the Bible, it's important to note that we do not take that literally. Uh-huh. Uh, remember, Jesus called James and John the sons of thunder. Right, um, we see the term like sons of lawlessness or sons of iniquity. Right, um, in ancient Hebrew, sons of was an idiomatic phrase which simply meant people who are that thing or people who do that thing. Mm-hmm. Right, so sons of lawlessness would be criminals. Right, sons of anarchy are anarchists. Right, um, so that's what that means. Except this one time in Deuteronomy, <laughs> we get sons of Belial. Mm. Like, even though we know the word Belial means worthlessness, we interpret it as a name and we assume it must be a demon, even when all these other pal- passages are telling us, no, that's not how you do this, right? <laughs> so, so like, why are we doing it with this one? I think there's, a, so Jesus is the is the son of the father and that's literal, but he's also the right. son of man, which is not literal. Right. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Yeah. If they yeah. were writing it all over again, they'd make it clearer, but... <laughs> <laughs> Dear writers of the Bible. Yeah, these are some revision notes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the emails that they are getting. Right, right, yeah. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so uh, then we, you know, still continuing on with Belial, we got uh, Psalm 41.8, which Mm -hmm. says, A thing of Belial cleaveth fast unto him, and now that he lieth, he shall rise up no more. And then a, a more modern translation goes like this. A deadly thing is poured out on him. He will not rise again from where he lies. And then again, we translate, an evil disease clings to him. And now that he lies down, he will not rise up again. And 
I can't remember where, but I've even seen it translated as, quote, a feeling of worthlessness fell upon him and he could not rise again. So we have gone from it being a demon, right, the demon Belio, to what seems like a curse, to a disease, and finally to a feeling of worthlessness. And this is what I was talking about, like, way back in our Exorcist Minutes, where, like, sometimes when you translate the names of some of these demons, you wonder if the original writers intended for them to be demons at all. Mm -hmm. Like, to me, it sounds like Psalm 14.8, right? It's like a feeling of of worthlessness, you know, fell upon this this guy and he couldn't rise up again, Mm -hmm. is talking about something that, like, we would call today uh, clinical depression. Mm. Keenan, what do you think? Yeah, so I don't know about the Psalms one specifically. This one's new to me, but right, there are all these other um, older societies where they were talking about mental illness, and mm-hmm. the way that they did that was to manifest, personify it in the force of a right. demon, right? Like a uh, like a nightmare or things like that, right? Or right, um, yeah. yeah, so so that makes sense. Um, I guess when it's the Bible, we're we have a harder time, right, saying that because this right. is also the the right, r- holy work, right? Yeah, right. Hmm, yeah, yeah I, hadn't, I hadn't heard about that, but that would that would jive with uh, what we used to do all across the world and still do in some in some places. All oh, yeah, the yeah, world, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, again, language, folks, it's 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 tricky. Yeah. <laughs> even when it's even when it's our language. Right? <laughs> but yeah, so so folks, that is all the demons. Um, as Milton says, the rest were long to tell, though far renowned. Yeah. Um, and they don't all but, get little songs. That's not very no, fair. No, no, no. Yeah, they got th- those were the big ones. That, you know, <laughs> but Beelzebub yeah. was like, "All right, now you did your monologue. It's time for me to do my monologue." Yeah, James was like quiet, like, you. Like, we don't have time. We don't have time. <laughs> we're running long. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, so so yeah, so so Milton ends it. He's like, like you know, it's like I'm not going to tell you about the rest. The rest are long to tell. The far renowned. But then in the very next stanza, he's like, "Oh, oh, oh! All the Greek and Roman gods and the Celtic gods. Yes, them too. Right." It's like, it's such an afterthought, like, but I love it. Like, just in case we weren't clear, all gods that are not God are demons. <laughs> it's just interesting that, that, right, like, correct me if I'm wrong, or anyone at uh-huh. home can correct me if I'm wrong. Like, like it's interesting. I don't think that, that the authors of the Bible came up with that easy fix, right? Because they still talk about the god, the other gods is like thou right. shalt worship no other gods before me, and they talk right. about, about that as other gods. And it's so you yes. know, like a millennium and a half later, they're like, wait, 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 <laughs> I, I have it right. Any of those I other am, gods, am, yeah. right? They are not gods; they are right. demons, and they are yes. lower than God in this actual hierarchy, right? Yes. That's I don't. That's not biblical anywhere. I think, right? Yeah, well, some somewhere uh-huh. in. So either either within the text itself of uh, the Old Testament mm-hmm. or within the adapting of uh-huh. the Old Testament, God went from saying, "I'm there are other gods, but I'm the strongest god," uh-huh. right, to saying, "I'm the only god," right, and these other gods are either uh, false or or I, I think actually it, it's not even um, uh, uh, alluded to in uh, even the most modern translations mm-hmm. of the Bible. It's more. I would say like the missionaries going overseas and and, yeah. and saying, "Hey, who do you worship? Oh, you, you worship this guy. You know, well, he's he's actually a demon, right? Because right, right, anybody right. else, you know, Pan. Oh, what is he? Horns and hooves? Yeah, yeah, he's a demon. Right, 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 right. right. So I think I think that's like way, way, way later that we got this idea. Right? That's what uh, I think. I'd, I'd love stuff. to hear other. You know, we have a lot of listeners who are much uh, higher, more, more up on their theology than we are. I'd love to see if that's the case anywhere else. But uh, yeah, that's interesting that it took you know some time, and then they're like, because because to do that is not to say like so for yeah, God in the 
the Bible say they're, they're false gods is one thing. Right. But to go and proselytize to people and say, like, these things that you're telling me are happening are not happening. That just never mm-hmm. happened. Uh, that's much harder to, I think, to square with people, right, than saying, like, no, right. no, no, they've been happening, but they are. That's bad. That's they, either right. they are. They are demons or they are. You're misunderstanding the expression of God, right, of the one God. Right. And, and like the so the um, the river God that you worship. Well, yes, God is everything. And you've just been misunderstanding it as opposed to saying, right. no, those are just fake. Your right. religion you, is you've, fake. Yeah. you've been worshiping God, but you've been calling him the wrong name. Or yes. Something like that, yes. 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 Right. Yes, yes. Versus like, hey, you over there, like you guys are all worshiping this statue mm-hmm. because you think it, uh, it is uh, you know, representative of this uh, of this God that you worship. Mm-hmm. But it's just a statue and right. there is no, um, you know, uh, whatever. Yeah. That's uh, a false God. What, right. Yeah. That's a false God. And then we got the other level of like, oh, like one of satan or one of one of god's enemies is deceiving mm-hmm, right. um and and the god that you worship is actually a devil right. right but yeah so so according to milton um at least in this story that's that's what they are that's uh-huh. all of the you know right. um you know anubis and just think of all of you know zeus and, mm-hmm. and 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 uh, pluto and pluton and you know all those guys right all demons right yeah and so I and imagine, santa claus a lot of people don't know that they can oh, yeah, well, yeah. no that's there a joke go, right? that's a joke no. <laughs> and the tooth fairy she's a demon and the tooth fairy, yeah she's a demon yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the flying spaghetti he's, it's already in the name he's a monster right and uh but no like and, and keenan this actually helps me like square my own personal circle because mm-hmm. now i just imagine you know that captain howdy is in there you know <laughs> he's, he's he's in the back right he's yeah. just a you know they all they all kind of like you know raise up their spears in a war cry they're like ah right and captain howdy's back in there like, ah, you know. <laughs> but he's picking all of their pockets while they're cheering <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, of course, like, you know, when all the angels fell, you know, kind of they, they changed and everything. Mm-hmm. Captain Howdy, even up in heaven, he was just like this, this little black monkey with a white face. Right? <laughs> oh, yeah. And they, they're falling and they're all landing into this lake and he's like, and they're all screaming. Ah, and he's like aiming to land on top of them <laughs> to cushion. Around. Oh, sorry there. I didn't. I, did, I didn't mean to do that. I was like, oh, boy. Right? Oh, but thanks, man. Yeah. And Satan, Satan's rallying all the all the troops. And he's and he's like, look at look at what heaven has done to you. Look at look at this poor creature over here. How ugly he has become <laughs> Captain Howdy's just like ah <laughs> I'm sure you were once so beautiful but so you're just beautiful. you're just so disgusting <laughs> oh god <laughs> you're like a little macaque or something I don't know <laughs> well, I like to pronounce it macaque am I right guys <laughs> no nobody leave me hanging here he's got his hand yeah. up for high five yeah <laughs> and that's why the statue of Pazuzu looks like that <laughs> Penal fire, anybody? Anybody? <laughs> Bueller? I was like, no, we don't. I was like, ah, it's, it, it'll. He, he somehow understands, like, right, but he's all the future references. Right, but like us, as out of touch millennial teachers who try to quote the Princess Bride and Ferris Bueller to our, our, right, right. our Gen Z students, he's still, yeah, yeah. yeah he's similarly like, oh, come on, guys. Yeah, <laughs> these are, no, these no. are great jokes. Yeah. <laughs> Insisting that his jokes are funny to the audience. Right, he's not right. They're funny. No, no, it's the rebel angels who are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so so okay, so all of these guys, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or, or all these angels, they they all gather on this sulfur island. They get out of the lake and they're all up on on land now, and they're all battle weary and ashamed. But when they see Satan standing like proud and tall, mm-hmm. looking like like he knows something that they don't, right? Their their spirits lift, and, and so he rallies them. Um, 
The poem doesn't say what he says initially, uh, but again, like it works because they start cheering and they they're clashing their shields and and blowing trumpets. And Azazel makes an appearance as like a, a standard bearer. He's he's like waving a big flag. <laughs> um, now Azazel like is another big name in demonology. He's associated with um, the teaching of forbidden arts, probably because in the Book of Enoch, remember that apocryphal text from like way back mm-hmm. in our you know the beginning of our history of the devil. Like Book of Enoch talked about like those angels, the uh, the watchers who had sex with human women and they they gave birth to giants well one of them was semyaza right who who later readers wanted so bad to be the same character as lucifer in isaiah mm-hmm. um well alongside semyaza was azazel or azazel um and he was guilty specifically of teaching humans forbidden things like weapons of war, but also mirrors and cosmetics. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so that's from Enoch. Um, but in the actual Bible, he's mentioned only once in Leviticus um, in the context of uh, the Day of Atonement. Um, the high priest would uh, would uh, cast lots to, to choose uh, two goats, one for sacrifice to the Lord and the other as a scapegoat, right, Azazel, uh, which would carry the sins of the people into the wilderness. And that's where we get the term scapegoat. Mm, okay. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so so Satan is rallying all these guys, riling them up, and Milton still doesn't let us hear what he's saying, but he tells us that all the fallen angels are looking at him, and they see that he is beautiful and terrible. Like like all of them have changed in the fall at this point, mm-hmm. right? So they've they've lost their like angelic beauty, or or like it's been tarnished, right? Um, you look at these uh, these illustrations; they all got like bat wings, right? Uh-huh. Um, and that's from the fall, which took nine days. So I guess it's like you know, part of them just been like. Uh, is that why they're ugly now? Tarnished, like from the physical fall of it, or I don't know. I mean, I don't. I don't think it ever. I don't think Milton or anybody mm-hmm. has ever like, like explained that. Like, is it? Is it like their inward? Is it their hearts kind of like changing yeah. their their outer appearances, or is it like physical from the fall, right? Or from um, beauty comes from the love of God, and then you know, as hell is the absence ah. of God, hell is as far away from heaven as could possibly be in this version of the cosmos, right? And, right, right. So they've like the farther away from God they get, they get the more the more changed they become. I'm just fascinated by that. Sorry, Milton doesn't yeah. solve any of that, but it's very interesting. Yeah, no, you know, and I mean, I think I think it's up for um, you know interpretation. Mm-hmm. Um, and but it's like I really like you know you have like in in these uh, uh, illustrations. Specifically, I'm thinking of Gustave Doré, right? Mm-hmm. You have uh, some of them, um, you know, uh, you have some of them with like angel wings still and some of them with bat wings, mm-hmm. right? Certainly when we see Satan, he has these he's these uh, really cool bat wings. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. And our friend Ian Hinnon was telling me once there was this movie called Beastly that was a remake of Beauty and the Beast, but the boy huh. hasn't turned into uh, a hairy beast. He just gets a, a face tattoo. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Do you know this? <laughs> no, I don't know about this. So what? I think it's Alex Pettifer, who's normally a really, really good looking guy. He's the lead in uh-huh. uh, Magic Mike. Um, oh, okay. and like really really good looking guy and then he's he's been cursed and the, the mark of his curse is this face tattoo and huh. Ian, uh, Ian when he watched the trailer was like like oh no I've been stricken with this really rad tattoo who will ever love me now <laughs> <laughs> I mean, okay, yeah. Speaking of which, yeah. So, so let's get back to this. So, like, yeah. So Satan is rallying them, right? Like riling them up, and they notice, you know, because like they've all changed, and so has Satan. But like on him, like all the angels note that it looks like majestic and terrible, right? Milton describes him like the sun peeking through dark clouds, and he says his his face had deep scars of thunder, right? So, episode three, Anakin Skywalker. <laughs> Basically. And Satan says, from my point of view, God is evil. 
it's like, oh, Satan, now that you've lost your angelic glow and your and your robes, all we can see are your sick abs. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, that's literally. <laughs> you know, he's got fiery red eyes and these like rad scars all over his face. The permanent five o'clock shadow. Ew. Yeah. <laughs> Where'd that earring come from? Whoa. Whoa. Uh, his wings have turned into a leather jacket. <laughs> Yeah, I was, um, oh, geez, I forget what scholar wrote this. It was a book called Thinking About Movies. I, I can't remember his name. Yeah. I'm sorry. But um, but they were they were talking about the um, how in yeah in media and film, like scarring of the body is this cool masculine thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and like this book was really great. It takes it's sort of pointing at things that we take for granted. But so like when um, when in uh, the Man With No Name trilogy, it's like Clint Eastwood, he's out in the desert and he he's, doesn't have any water, but it just makes him look cooler. Right. He's like right. surviving from all this. But how that doesn't work for um you know our typical ideas of like feminine heroes we wouldn't we right. wouldn't expect a, a cool what a cool badass scar we still want them to be unmarked by their time um uh yeah. doing action i'm thinking well I'm, I'm thinking specifically of um like aliens mm-hmm. you know yeah. ripley gets like like little you know like it's it's always li- actually for both men and women mm-hmm. you see when like you know they're supposed to be like the sexy hero mm-hmm. if they do get like messed up mm-hmm. like if they get like you know messed battle, up in the face, battle it's, damage yeah yeah battle damage it's never it's always in the perfect place <laughs> and it just makes them look sexier right? a little ring above the eyebrow and there's a little yeah. drip of blood there yeah right right or the eyebrow has been like it's it's been uh uh sliced you know <laughs> right there's a little there's a little scar on the eyebrow right <laughs> Right. And it's just it's nothing it's nothing that like disfigures the like the the topography of the face. Right. It's just like cool little cuts, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that folks, that's what we're saying. That's what, what Satan looks like now. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. OK, where was I? I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was comparing him to Anakin Skywalker. Mm-hmm. Right? From my point of view, God is evil. Um, you think I'm joking, folks. Um, no. OK, I'm being I'm being silly, but this is actually a really great passage. Um, this is. Mark Antony levels of crowd manipulation, right? He he tries to start to speak three times, but each time he gets choked up and that makes them cry. And then he finally begins, right? He says, O myriads of immortal spirits, O powers matchless, but with the Almighty. And that strife was not inglorious, though the event was dire, as this place testifies, and this dire change hateful to utter. But what power of mind foreseeing or presaging from the depth of knowledge, past or present, could have feared how such united force of gods, how such as stood like these, could ever know repulse? For who can yet believe, though after loss, that all these puissant legions whose exile hath emptied heaven shall fail to reascend, self-raised, and repossess their native seat? For me, be witness all the host of heaven, if counsels different or danger shunned by me have lost our hopes." But he who reigns monarch in heaven, till then as one secure, sat on his throne upheld by old repute, consent or custom, and his regal state put forth at full, but still his strength concealed, which tempted our attempt and wrought our fall. Henceforth his might we know, and know our own, so as not either to provoke or dread, new war provoked. Our better part remains to work in close design by fraud or guile, what force effected not, that he no less at length from us may find. Who overcomes by force hath overcome but half his foe. Space may produce new worlds, whereof so rife there went a fame in heaven that he ere long intended to create, and therein plant a generation whom his choice regard should favor equal to the sons of heaven. Thither, if but to pry, shall be perhaps our first eruption, thither or elsewhere, for this infernal pit shall never hold celestial spirits in bondage, nor the abyss long under darkness cover. But these thoughts full counsel must mature. Peace is despaired. For who can think submission? War then, war, open or understood, must be resolved. 
Mm-hmm. So I like this. Um, first thing he does is raise them up, right? They are gods. They are unequaled except for God, right? And then he's like, who could have thought that beings such as you could be defeated? You're so strong. You're so brave, right? I was surprised. Weren't you surprised? Man. And then, and then, like, I love this. He's like, you know what I think? I think it's God's fault for hiding his full power from us and tempting us to rebel, right? I love that line, tempted our attempt, mm-hmm. right? Mwah. That was great. Um, and then, and also, like, Satan accusing God of being the tempter. It's so, like, that's so Satan, right? That's so Satan. Tonight at six on the Disney Channel. <laughs> Oh, but it's again, it's getting all these these big unresolved problems, right? Like, yeah. you know, if God creates us and lets us do what we want to do, how is it not God's fault that we are evil yeah. or sinful or weak or what have you? Uh, yeah, right. And that's that's you know Satan's argument mm-hmm. right there, right? He's like he's like he he made us he he let us do this, mm-hmm. right? But he actually did set their chains. So if he didn't let them do the first one, now he's definitely doing it, right? Because the, right. the chains have come free uh, here in hell on God's uh-huh. command, right? Yeah, he let him he let him get out of the lake. So that's right? really happening. Yeah, yeah. yeah if it wasn't yeah, happening yeah. before. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And in uh, in Satan's bedroom upstairs, right? You know, it's like it's almost the end of the the episode, and right, you know, God comes in there and he and he sits down on the bed beside Satan, right? He's like, no, I know you had a, you know some some trouble at school today, but uh, don't you think uh, you know the the reason you were able to to get out of that lake of fire was because I let you? And he's like, oh, and I messed up the 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 school bake off, and uh, I was really mean to Beelzebub. <laughs> He came to school wearing the same thing I was wearing. <laughs> Armor. Um, <laughs> then I had to like, you know, paint myself like a statue of a bird. That's the one episode I saw, folks, okay? <laughs> I had to be really still for, for a long time. Uh, um, <laughs> but yeah, so 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 Satan goes on and he says that we may have lost the battle, right? We obviously can't fight God openly, right? But we can continue our war in more subtle ways, right? We can make it a cold war. Um, but we should first have like a council and decide what to do next mm. is, is the last part of his speech, right? And again, speech works, right? They all raise their flaming swords and, you know, in this battle cry against mm. heaven. Sorry, yeah. I'm distracted. Do you know what happens to Raven's family after the show? <laughs> after that so Raven? No. <laughs> What happens? Uh, the dad becomes the president's chef in the White House and moves into what? the White House. And yeah, and then the show becomes about uh, the, the little brother Corey. So it's Corey in the house. And there's, oh, there's that's the name of it. Yeah, Corey, Corey in the house. house. And there's no um, there's no uh, um, predictions or, or you know second sight or anything. Oh, that's right. She predicted things. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's so Raven. <laughs> I completely forgot about that part. <laughs> Right. Okay. That was the that was the the thrust of the show. Yeah. Right, so right, this right, family right. has two amazing things happen to them. <laughs> One in that the daughter has a secret power of, of prediction and, and she can tell the future. Right. And the other is that the dad just beca- gets picked up as a famous chef and gets to live yeah. in the White House, but doesn't take a Raven with him <laughs> or the mom. Just Corey. Yeah. The mom comes yeah. sometimes, but uh, yeah. Ah well. I mean, I'm sure she saw it coming. <laughs> Apparently, she didn't tell him though. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, okay. So back, back to back to our um, struggling adolescent uh, <laughs> Satan. Um, yeah. So so yeah, they, he made the speech, and and they all clash their shields, and then and then they all like fly over to this nearby volcano, mm-hmm. which is actively belching out lava, and they delve into the open earth and scoop out all the metallic ore. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like like with just their bare hands. Um, 
they basically ransacked this volcano, specifically um, digging out, quote, ribs of gold um, from the bowels of the earth. And these angels are led by Mammon. Mm-hmm. Uh, in demonology, Mammon is uh, one of the seven princes of hell, coinciding with the seven deadly sins. Um, so his dominion is greed. Once again, uh, in the Bible, the word Mammon might just mean like money or the worship of money. Mm-hmm. Um, in Matthew 6, 24, um, Jesus says, uh, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one or and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, hmm. uh, which modern scholars interpret as you can't love God and money. Hmm. The love of money is the root of all evil, but they don't yeah. say manon, mammon is the root of all evil, I guess. Or? It could be that Memon was uh, like a god of wealth, mm-hmm. like Plutus, mm-hmm. right. and and what Jesus is saying is like 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 we would say it's like oh you know it's like oh, I think you've been uh, worshiping Bacchus a little bit you know <laughs> right so maybe that's what that's what he's saying is like you can't love God and Memon mm-hmm. meaning meaning like his meaning is you can't you can't be like too greedy right, right? Mm-hmm. yeah but yeah so um, but let's hear what Milton says about the demon Memon Memon led them on Memon the least erected spirit that fell from heaven for even in heaven his looks and thoughts were always downward bent admiring more the riches of heaven's pavement trodden gold mm-hmm. so yeah so even in heaven Memon was always looking downward at the streets which are apparently in Milton's heaven mm-hmm. uh, paved with gold so so of course he's going to be the one to lead them on this little mining expedition. Yeah and and this is sort of in the background of all of this. So again the the editor of the version that I read uh, Dr. John Leonard pointed this out to me this is my ideas but um but that this is taking place before uh before the earth has been created. Uh, yes. Yeah, uh-huh. So so heaven and earth because from our point of view um right heaven is above us and hell is below us and that's just sort of how right. we place them right. Yes. Um uh-huh. so Milton has that heaven is way up there and hell is all the way down and that God uh, will make earth some other place not as a place yes. like literally in between them right but that right. is equidistant from both of them. So it's this like right. cosmological view of of the heavens and um uh, later on um if he hasn't already said it uh, Milton will use the word cosmos in a way that is uh, yes um some people say is like he's the first person to use it in that respect to mean right. like outer space because it used to just mean space as in uh he used to, he used to say space is in the spatial reasoning but now he would say like space meaning the outer part of the earth is space right yeah. yes uh there's a there's a, a part later on mm-hmm. spoilers guys <laughs> so does get out um and like beyond the gates of hell is just this realm called chaos uh-huh. and if i remember correctly chaos is also a character like a like a person mm-hmm. um and and so is like knight mm-hmm. and so like he meets chaos and and he's like hey you know like uh aren't you mad at god for like messing up your beautiful chaos mm-hmm. and you know creating order and you know this new earth and and chaos is like yeah i'll help you dear go oh this i way. see cool right. oh yeah. but i guess i was thinking about this because like okay so we can mine in in hell <laughs> it's like yes. so we can dig and there's volcanoes in hell so it's, his hell is not underground the way that we sort of i don't know if anyone well, I guess some people must literally believe that, right? That yeah. hell is literally underground. That's how we depict yeah. it in like cartoons of hell, right? Right. That you that you That's go actually, down there yeah. and, and it's, it's underneath, right? Right. Like there's a roof to hell. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Like a cave roof. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. So here we're getting a glimpse of like the difference between heaven and hell. And um, and certainly heaven is up and hell is down. But beyond that, right. their relationship is uh, um, like outside of the, the realm of ours to um, to understand, right? It's beyond yeah. our, our, our ability to understand it. Although right, Satan right. has seen it. Yes. And look uh-huh. what it did to him. <laughs> exactly, right? It didn't do him any, any good, yeah. He stared into it and it stared back. <laughs> so yeah, folks, so Milton's hell has 
Earth-like features, right. right? It has hills and valleys. It has mountains. It has volcanoes and and, and lakes, right? Lava you know, and not magma because it's not underground. Right, right. Because it, it, when it's when it's outside, <laughs> it's lava, right? You know. Yeah. That's one of the other devils. It's like, you know, Memon is like, it's like, come brothers, let us use the magma flowing from this volcano, right? And there's just somebody in the back. It's like, actually. It's like, oh, that guy. Right. Yeah. But yeah, so so they take all of this ore uh, to a plane and they begin to dig channels and lay foundations. And Milton compares this thing that they're building to like the greatest, most opulent cities and palaces, the the envy of all earthly kings. Mm -hmm. Basically, this is bigger and better than anything on earth. And they also finish it really, really quick. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, He says, and strength and art are easily outdone by spirits reprobate. And in an hour, what in an age, they with incessant toil and hands innumerable scarce perform. And what they have built is the capital city of hell, known as pandemonium. Mm-hmm. This is a word that Milton coined. Um, I think we talked about it on the show, yep. right? It's it's Latin. It literally means all the demons, pandemonium. Mm-hmm. And uh, now it's the collective term for parrots. <laughs> That's right. right. Pandemonium of parrots, right? <laughs> and not pandas. What the fuck, people? I don't know. It's an embarrassment of pandas, I believe. Yeah, I know, right? It's an embarrassment that, oh, God, yeah, whatever. <laughs> whatever. Uh, so they built this giant city to... To giant proportions because they're all giants, I guess. Yes, right. Remember, remember, folks. Just in case you forgot, they're all really big. <laughs> so if there was a picture, no bananas down right, here, right? We wouldn't have any. Right, we wouldn't have any bananas for scale. Yes. <laughs> we just like, oh yeah, it's a pretty cool chair, and then we just wait. No, 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 it's a giant. It's chair. a giant chair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yes, folks, this is the climax of the first book, the building of this great city, Pandemonium. And so after this, a high council is called at the Capitol building. Or maybe like at the palace, also called Pandemonium. It's mm-hmm. unclear whether Pandemonium refers to the whole city or just like one like central important building. Um, I've heard it referred to as both, right? I like, guess it's kind of like New York, New York. New York, New York. Yeah, yeah. But I mean like, like – it's, um, it's Pandemonium is the place so nice they named it twice. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the big apple. Oh, that's <laughs> – someone just someone – just, uh, <laughs> That's Beelzebub. That's his yeah. contribution. And Satan's like, oh, that is really good. We gotta, yeah, yeah, yeah. we gotta keep that. That's we have to trick God into inventing the apple so that pun <laughs> makes any sort of sense at all. <laughs> all for the sake of this pun. We got we gotta do this. That's what devils do. Yep. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> right? That's what that's what he said. He's like, it's like we gotta, you know, we can't fight him, so we're just gonna like troll him forever. Right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so a, 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 it doesn't sound very solemn, but a solemn council. <laughs> How do we troll God? <laughs> no, but you're right. That's actually what's going on. Yeah, that is that is exactly it, right? <laughs> um, so yeah, so, uh, so, so Milton says, a solemn council forthwith to be held at Pandemonium, the high capital of Satan and his peers. That's all the text says. So again, like we don't know if it's a palace or a city or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so the demons, yes, Keenan, they shrink themselves so that they can all fit in this thing, right? <laughs> Does that really happen? Yes. No, that's that's in the text. They make themselves small. Why so did they, they just can... build it bigger? This is, this is what I'm saying. <laughs> oh, I was giving them all this credit for having built it bigger. <laughs> this is exactly what I'm saying, right? Like, like after the building of this fabulous mm-hmm. palace, right? Milton says, and then they, they made themselves small so they could all fit. And I'm like, hell has no bananas. You could make the, the palace as big as you. So they're like, oh, doors are like seven feet tall. So that's how big we should build our doors. 
That's yeah. Meanwhile, <laughs> meanwhile, they are like fifty feet tall, right? They're like the Titans, and <laughs> so. Oh God! I just got a visual, Keenan. It, it's you know the music is playing, right? It's it's mm-hmm. it's a, a night on Bald Mountain, right? You know, <laughs> it's <laughs> and you know it's, it's the, the music crescendos, and you see like all these all these you know rebel angels with you know like they're just their arms loaded with like gold and and all these materials, and you see you know the palace of Pandemonium just mm-hmm. rise up out of the earth, right? And then hard cut to all of them just standing, <laughs> looking down at this tiny little. <laughs> <laughs> well that's why it was so fast i guess because <laughs> like instead of you and i building a, a headquarters for our right. podcasting empire we they build don't... a lego size one and then exactly. shrink ourselves down <laughs> so they built this little model and they're all just like standing over it you know scratching their heads and you know beelzebub turns to satan is like well i i, I think we should have thought this through um <laughs> Satan's like, I have an idea, right? And then he shrinks down to size. And he's like, right. oh, that's why you're our boss, right? <laughs> we build the boat first and then blow the bottle around it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no bananas. Um, so yeah, but, but no, this is, this is exactly, so Keenan, to answer your question, this is exactly what Milton says. He says, mm-hmm. thus incorporeal spirits to smallest forms reduced their shapes immense and were at large though without number still amidst the hall of that infernal court but far within and in their own dimensions like themselves the great seraphic lords and cherubim in close recess and secret conclave sat a thousand demigods and golden seats frequent and full after short silence then and summons read the great consult began so all this pomp and circumstance, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like everybody proceeding into the palace, right? And it's just filled, and you and you see, like, like again, there's a there's a great picture by Gustav Dore, right, of of a pandemonium filled with devils, right? And you see Satan, you know, kind of like raising his arm in a salute, right? And then you know, it's like, a, and then just cut out outside, right? And you hear ah. <laughs> Right, great council. I mean, but they're tiny. It's a teeny tiny. Council. It's a teeny tiny council. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> yeah. In the Gustav Dore version, yeah, there's a there's a um, a uh, car tire outside for sale. <laughs> 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 Just a, a raccoon walks by and looks at it. Right? You know what I got my uh, my sister for Christmas was uh, yeah. extra long Twizzlers. <laughs> <laughs> what? So they're the same width as Twizzlers, but they yes. were like they were like a foot and a half long. <laughs> so I don't know. I couldn't remember if she likes Twizzlers <laughs> or at all. But I was like, you know what? These are so odd. Yeah, and I'm not sure why yeah. these exist. <laughs> but something about just having a regular size thing, but in some strange proportion. Uh-huh. Yeah, really seemed hellish. So I got it for her. Yeah. Well, there you go. Right. She's either gonna really like it or. <laughs> No. Oh, she's gonna eat them. She told me she'll eat them. All right, okay. Yeah, yeah she won't be uh like disgusted by their size. Okay. <laughs> like I can't eat these. <laughs> these are way too long. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. But yeah, folks, that is book one of Paradise Lost. What are they gonna talk about at that council? Right. <laughs> Come back next week when we discuss book two. Keenan. What do you think of this first book? How do you feel about this new journey we're going on? Well, you know, I I think it's going to work. <laughs> you know, it's very difficult. Yeah. But basically, I've read a fifty-page introduction to it, 
and then in each chapter, it uh-huh. tells us what's going to happen. Uh-huh. And then there's a poem version of that that's very long. Yes. And then you're going to tell me what happened. <laughs> so I think this is this is going to work. This is yeah. this is going to be good. Keenan is my Beelzebub. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and I'm yeah. like, come on, follow me into this thing. <laughs> yes, this is our audition for that. In the movie version, you can be, yeah. you could be. I'm assuming you want to play Satan and not Adam. Well, I, yeah. <laughs> and I'll be your Beelzebub. Right there we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. The next book with uh, with the council is really, really cool, folks. So uh, uh, join us again next week for that. Uh, for now, that's all of my notes. Keenan, is there anything else? No, I think we got it. Okay, folks, this has been another excellent Exorcist Minute. I've been Lester Ryan Clark. You can reach me on all the socials as Lester Ryan Clark. And I've been Keenan Diaz, and you can find me on Instagram and Letterboxd at Howdy Keenan. Yeah. We got our listener group, Compelling Conversations. Go check that out and request to join, and we'll let you in here with us. Uh, thank you so much to everyone who has shared the show by word of mouth or on social media, and a big thank you to everyone who has given us a five-star ratings on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to our show. We really appreciate that. It's going to help our uh, little podcast grow and find more cool people like you. Okay, Keenan, are you thinking what I'm thinking? I think I am, Lester. Folks, until next time, the, the power, power of That's So Raven compels you. Folks, until next time. Better to reign in hell than star in that so raven. <laughs> that's that's both, funny. <laughs> both episodes this week, we ended the show with uh, references to a show that I'm not familiar with. <laughs> Well, you brought up that so, Raven. <laughs> yes.